the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. You were sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cut deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Ron is the Word to Stand On. Welcome to the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions, questions about what we believe as Christians and why we believe it. I'll do the best that I can. All you have to do is call. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. Paul and I were um, in Austin um, a week or so ago. I can't remember now, but but I, I we, we turned into the program. It was a, a repeat broadcast, and we turned in the program just to see if we could get reception. The reception was as good as right here in San Antonio. So we'd love to have our Austin callers. I know we've got a lot of people that listen out there. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app and that way you can take advantage of your hands-free feature. 340-9585. Let's get right to questions. Um... Nothing else to announce today. This one is from Nacho from our email inbox. Uh, he says, I've often wondered if Peter would have looked back with a smile or a chuckle at his encounter with Paul in Galatians chapter 2. As he wrote, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Or before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. You know, I think a couple of things, Nacho, we we can't really get into his heart after the fact. Um, I I know while he was in that confrontation that Paul spoke about in Galatians, uh, I, I know he would have felt the same thing we feel when we do something wrong or when we're off and the Holy Spirit convicts us of something. Uh, he would have been uh, ashamed. He would have understood he got it. Now his flesh, Peter, we know had flesh, um, probably wouldn't have wanted to be, be uh, uh, directed that way or, or, or at least have that conversation go that way. But uh, you know what? At the end, and I think this is how he would have looked back on it after the fact, I think he would have looked back on it and thanked the Lord that there was a man of God who would have the courage to correct him. Now, Peter was a rock star in the early church. I mean, Peter was famous long before uh, Saul of Tarsus ever became Paul. And of the two, at at a particular point, now we know Paul um, was the man, I think, used by God to a greater degree than anybody else. But at the time when they were living, Peter was the recognized rock star. And, and this took courage, and yet 
Peter would later be able to look back on it and say, you know, Paul cared enough about me that he didn't let me go in the wrong direction. And that's a great lesson for all of us because, um, you know, we don't like it when people correct us or when people rebuke us, rebuke in love. Um, but sometimes we need it. And people that really care for us, people that really love us, will do that very thing. So, um, not sure that's the best I can do on it, not being able to get into his heart, but knowing the kind of man he was, he would have ultimately, looking back, he would have been grateful. And I'm sure there are times when he would have shaken his head and said, I can't believe that I let those legalizers get to me. Good question. Here is a question that came in from Caleb from our mobile app. He asks, Pastor Ron, what's your view on the gap theory? Caleb, I think it's nonsense. Um, You know, the gap theory is nothing more than uh, people trying to reconcile, find a link between evolution and the purported age of the earth. You know, we're hundreds of millions or billions of years old, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and and trying to find a, a way to reconcile the two, when in fact, as Christians, we have to be willing to make a choice. Are we going to believe what the Word of God says, or are we going to believe what our so-called science books tell us, what's been crammed down our throat? Now, I think there's a couple of things, Caleb, that we need to understand about uh, about the theory of evolution or the Big Bang Theory or any other um, alternative creations theory. Um, we, we have to understand that they start out with the presumption there is no God. And if there's no God, they can make up what they want to make up. The problem that I have is when Christians try to acquiesce to the gap theory in order to placate what people say, well, it's proven science. You know, like right now, um, climate change is proven science. It's not. Look at Psalm 46. People will say, well, it's proven science. Everybody knows that evolution is true. Everybody knows there was Big Bang Theory. Stephen Hawking is the, the smartest man probably of our generation. And he wasn't smart enough to believe in God. And I think we're so intimidated. And the next question I have, in fact, will give you an idea that I think we're so intimidated by, by, by intellect that we sort of grow embarrassed by our little creation story. In the beginning, God. Caleb, the gap theory is simply that between verses 1 and 2 in Genesis, there was a long, protracted period of time. Nobody knows how long. And they started all over. That's simply not the case. The world was created in a literal six days, 24-hour days, I say this often, but Adam was created with the appearance of age. He was not an infant. Eve, the same thing is true. And when God created the earth, he created it with the appearance of age. In the beginning, God, if you believe the first four letter, first four words of the Bible, then you ought to believe that. That kind of leads into the question that Evangeline sent in. She says, why does it seem like atheists are more intelligent than most Christians? Uh, Evangeline, that's in part our insecurity. Uh, in part, it's because we don't uh, really, really believe our Bibles. But the truth of the matter is they're not smart enough. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the Proverbs right? David says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I don't care how big their vocabulary is, I don't care what their IQ is, the word for fool is the word we get our English word moron from. And it's simply not smart. Are they intelligent? Of course they're intelligent. I'm grateful that God gave this world intelligent people. But those intelligent people, especially the really, really smart ones, I mentioned Stephen Hawking a moment ago, who now knows the truth. Now he knows what a fool he was. And he's paying the eternal consequence for it. So don't be intimidated by a smart atheist. Just remember, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said that that man or that woman is a fool. And they may have command of facts, they may have command of, of, of 
science. They may have command of whatever their specialty is. But what they don't have is the intelligence to recognize the simplest thing. I went out this morning, Evangeline, um, and when I go out to walk and run, my time with the Lord, I always look, my first thing, I walk right in the middle of the street, I've got big trees in my yard, so i got to walk out in the street, and I look for the sun. And today the sun was behind clouds, and it was a little bit earlier, so it wasn't as bright as it normally is. And my first thought is, you know, that's just like the devil. He tries to hide your presence from us sometimes, Lord. But just like those clouds are trying to hide your presence, I know that you're there. And this morning when I did that, I felt pretty smart. So eventually, don't be intimidated by those who are fools. It takes intellect and wisdom to use the brain God gave you to find him. And of course, his name is Jesus. Here is a question from Bruce. I haven't had a question about Bethel Church in a while. I read a lot about Bethel Church in Redding, California. Why are opinions so divided over whether it's a good church or a bad church? Bruce, let me take away the division. It's a bad church. It's an out-of-control, false-teaching church. And um, it's, it's, I guess the opinions are divided because it's a popular church. It's a crowded church. It has the trappings of success. But there's very little that comes from that pulpit. There's very little that comes through the lyrics of the music they write. It has any value at all as it relates to the truth of Jesus Christ. Bill Johnson, I don't know his history. He may have started well, but he is not finishing well at all. And Bethel Church is a church that ought to be off limits for true believers. And unfortunately, every time there's a false teacher, there are some real believers in that church that get sort of tricked into believing. They they get, because of their inability or unwillingness to really dig into the Word, they let their emotions, they let the appearance of things convince them otherwise. Bruce, it's a terrible church. There just isn't anything at all that's going on that's of God there. Uh, and... Um, it's a church to avoid. So stop reading about it. Don't be interested in it. Uh, if you persist in listening or finding out more information, just open your Bible and compare what it says to what the pastor there is saying. It's just really, really a bad, it's a dangerous place. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I'd love to have your live calls and questions today. Here's a question from Becky. I don't think it's the same Becky I'm going to ask you to pray for now, but we got a dear, dear woman in our church named Becky who today had an accident. Um, she's going through some tough physical things anyway. Today she had an accident uh, and was in the hospital. I haven't got an update on how she is, but please, if you would, keep Becky from Calvary Chapel San Antonio uh, in your prayers. This Becky says, Please explain why God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute. Becky, that's a great question. You know, I, I think one of the things that we lose sight of in our church culture with so many people making false claims that they're prophets. You know, we, we say, I speak for the Lord and, and we get attention and people go, ooh, and, and uh, you know, a prophet's life was really tough. A prophet's life was really tough. I mean, you want to read... Uh, Ezekiel, the dramatic prophet, he had to really do some difficult things. Isaiah, Jeremiah, they had difficult, difficult lives. Well, I don't think any of them had more in terms of a heartbreaking calling than Hosea. Hosea loved Gomer. Um, He knew she was unfaithful. But God asked him, marry her and take care of her, even when she was cheating on him, which was often, just because he loved her. And God said, that's a picture. The prophet had to live the heartbreak of God. Now, I want to say that again. The prophet had to live the heartbreak of God. 
Anybody want to be a prophet now? And God would look at his people, Israel, who had, spiritually speaking, prostituted themselves. They went chasing after other gods who weren't really gods at all, all the while claiming to belong to him. Well, Hosea was married to Gomer. Ask Gomer who she's married to. She'd say, well, I'm the wife of Hosea. And yet she was continually in the arms of other men, in the beds of other men. And Hosea would have to deal with that heartbreak every single day. And this is just my opinion. I don't think there was another prophet who, practically speaking, experienced the heartbreak of God as closely or as intimately as Hosea did. Now, this doesn't mean because God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute that we should do that. All it means is that God used his servant. Remember, when we're a servant of God, we're not our own, we're bought with a price. When God tells us to do something, we have to do it. Well, Hosea was asked to live the heartbreak of God. And for my money, that's as difficult a ministry as there could possibly be. You know, the one thing I love about Hosea is as you get through the story, we find that he was behind the scenes with Gomer unaware, providing for her needs even when she was selling herself on a daily basis, sometimes many times a day. He was making sure that she could come home if she wanted to. And that's the perfect heart of God right there. You know, so often we get hurt or or we'll have a situation where there's adultery in a Christian home and and uh, our pride won't let us, you know, reconcile. God says, but, but I was faithful to you. I promised never to leave you or forsake you no matter what you did. And every one of us, if we've run away from God, the moment we turned back to him, he was right there to embrace us. Becky, that's why God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute. Good question. That's a great book to read, by the way. Not so much fun to study in terms of doing a Bible study. It's just really hard. But Here is a question from Dale. Pastor Ron, why is homosexuality a sin if eating pork no longer is? Dale had a similar question about this yesterday, I think, with gluttony, overweight pastors, and homosexuality. There's, there's no possible way that you can compare eating pork and homosexuality. Now, I know the basis of your question is that they're both in the Old Testament and they're both forbidden by God. They're both a sin. But remember, Jesus, when he came, he declared all foods clean. And Peter was up on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner. And that cheat with all kinds of unclean food was coming down in the vision that he had. And he heard the voice of our Lord say, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I've never eaten any unthing, uh, unclean thing. And then then conviction hit him, and he knew that you don't tell God no. So Jesus declared all food clean. That wasn't the case for God's people Israel in the Old Testament. So I think sometimes, Dale, when we don't do our work and we don't really look at the word what it's saying and to whom it is saying it we're going to come up with questions like this pork is no longer a sin because Jesus said it's a clean food now and I'm so glad he did bacon is like my favorite thing in the world but he did say homosexuality is a sin in the New Testament just as he did in the Old Testament in the Old Testament we get God's heart Towards homosexuality, he says it's an abomination to him. The reason it's an abomination to him is because it's unnatural, because it separates people from God. He demonstrated his intent to judge in Sodom and Gomorrah because of that very sin. But we're also told in our New Testament that homosexuality is 
still the same abomination of God. It doesn't mean he doesn't love the people. He does. But what it means is, and I'm going to summarize it with Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you know, they can complain, they can talk about how insensitive we are to believe that, but it is written in God's word. We are Christians, we can't add or subtract from it, and if we really care about people who are living a, a homosexual lifestyle, Dale, we've got to tell them about it. If your question comes from talking to one of them and say, well, you know, you Christians would stone your children, or you Christians, you know, you eat pork. Tell them as nicely as you can, don't use a Bible that they don't know. Try to make an argument. So eating pork is no longer sin because Jesus said it wasn't. Homosexuality is and always will be because he said it would be. Here is a question from Darren who wants to know what is my opinion on annihilationism. I don't know why, Darren, that's a hard thing for me to say, but that's just one of those words I stumble over all the time. Uh, It's false. Uh, Annihilationism is the, the, the belief that when we die, we don't go to hell. We just die. We stop being. We're, we're just destroyed. We're dead. And that's all it is. So there is no um, um, biblical warrant for it. Uh, we are made in the image of God. That means two things. It means that we, like God, have the capacity to choose. And it means that we, like God, will be forever. The moment we have life in the womb, we're going to live somewhere forever. And because we have free will, we have to make the choice of where that is. Now, Darren, I know that uh, with the rise in popularity of universalism spread uh, via the Internet, um, you know, I know we like to think God's going to let everybody in. But even those who are honest enough to look at the Bible say, well, that's not true. God's not going to let everybody in. Um, they like this doctrine of annihilationism, annihilationism, uh, and they like it because at least their suffering's over. They just cease to be. They're no longer in pain. But eternal torment is described as forever. It's described as as horrible, terrible, uh, and is appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. So. Annihilationism is not a biblical doctrine. Heaven and hell are only two options in terms of where we're going to live forever and ever. Jeff, I think, Jeff, I'll do your question on the other side of the break. It might be a little bit longer. Raquel wants to know, is it true that if I give to a particular TV preacher, God will honor my giving with more? Raquel, the answer is no, that's not true. That's prosperity doctrine, and it is false doctrine. It's, it's an, an, an empty bag. There's, there's simply no truth. And if you're listening to a TV preacher or um, going to a church where they tell you that all you have to do is sow a seed and God will give you a tenfold or a hundredfold back, um, they're, they're, they're liars. They're, they're false teachers. That's simply not going to happen. In fact, Raquel, with this horrible doctrine, you can give, but if your motive to give is to get something back from God, then you've lost any reward from what you've given at all. I tell our church all the time, and we're a church that desperately needs money. I mean desperately. And I tell them all the time, if you're going to give to us to get something back from God, don't give at all. God doesn't want that kind of gift. There's no reward for that kind of gift. We treat God like a banking machine. You know, we put a little in, take some out. That's not who God is. Now, it's true, principally, that we can't outgive God. But we have to give with the right heart. And one of the reasons, Raquel, that teachers, false teachers like this teach this is because they can appeal to your flesh appeal to the wrong motives to get you to give to God. I think i got time for a very quick story. I was at a, uh, a church that was doing a, what they advertise as a miracle service. 
Uh, it was a Sunday night. We didn't have a service, so uh, me and a couple guys from the church went over just to see miracle service tonight. And uh, we hadn't been in San Antonio that long. We just wanted to see what it was, and they were doing all kinds of goofy things, stretching legs and, and just crazy stuff. But but in the process of the about three-hour night, they must have taken a half dozen offerings. And a guy that I was sitting next to, um, really into it, and I was watching what he was giving, and every time the offering plate came by, he would reach into his wallet and very he thought privately would pull out a $1 bill and give it to him. By the end of the night, he'd given away four or five bucks. And I thought, you know, if he really believed that, he'd have given a lot more. So even people in those churches don't believe it. Raquel, so it's not true. Stop listening to that preacher. Or stop going to that church and protect yourself. Jeff, I'll get to your question on the other side of the break, but we would much rather have your live calls and questions. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. From Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We will be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. The only thing we're missing today is your phone calls, 340-9585. Here's Jeff's question, and it's personal for me. He said, would you describe your weekly schedule? It seems like you are really busy. Um... Boy, Jeff, I, I, I am busy. Um, my weekly schedule. I, I do three Bible studies a week. I do uh, Wednesday night here. It's an Old Testament Bible study. I do a Friday night study. Um, and then uh, three services on Sunday. And the, the Friday night and the Sunday are not the same. They're both New Testament, but they're not the same service. Uh, so, yeah, that that's a lot of teaching and it's a lot of study. Now, uh, to be fair... Um, the New Testament studies in particular don't take that long for me. Uh, I've already written my ent- uh, an entire commentary on the, on, the, on the whole of the New Testament. I've taught every book more than once. I've only, I, there's a couple I've only taught once, but, but, but I, I've, I've got, so I've got my own notes. So I don't have to reinvent the wheel is what I'm saying. But um, I'm, I'm obviously here for the radio program at 4 o'clock every day and uh, on a live show, Paul and I, we always say 4 o'clock comes at 4 o'clock. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to do. Um, I, we do some counseling um, uh, during the week. Uh, Paul and I, we get in the morning. We spend some time together. She reads to me. Um, you know, we get ready in the morning to go out. We go to the gym together. Um, uh, I run up here, walk, take some time with the Lord, and she drives up. And then um, we, we get done to the gym. Today we were done maybe... 10 o'clock, and, um, and then we, we go our separate ways and do, do, um, do whatever the Lord has on our plate for that day. Um, Jeff, I guard my, my rest time. Um, I'm not somebody who stays up late uh, at night. I'm, I'm falling out at 10 o'clock. Sometimes I can make it to 11, but that's more and more rare these days. Uh, and yeah, my, my life is busy, but it is such a rich life, Jeff. I'm um, it's it's one of those lives that you never would imagine would be as rich as it is, um, uh, as blessed as it is. Uh, it's not easy. Um, you know, I deal with the issues of the church. I'm, I'm the, the, the primary administrator here. Uh, God has given me a great staff of people, uh, and they take care of things that I wouldn't have time to do so we can prioritize uh, correctly. And um, and so yeah, I'm 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 very busy, um, but thus far the Lord has provided the energy um, to do it. So let's go to Charles on line one. Charles, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, hey, Pastor, how you doing? I'm doing well, Charles. How are you? Good. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Hey, I was calling. Uh, I wanted to see if you and uh and 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 the body can pray for my wife. 
having issues with her legs going out again. Uh, oh. That's why we haven't been to church again. You know, she's been in the hospital. Uh, she ain't got no strength. She can't walk. I was wondering if I could get some prayer for her to, you know, get healed. Yeah, I will do that. And and the, the people from church do have you have you let the uh, the people of the church know, Charles? Because I know they'll be praying if they know. Uh, I haven't. I uh, we we were there a couple. We were at church a couple of Sundays ago, but that was it. After that, okay. she ended up back in the hospital and stuff again. Okay. Well, I'll make sure the word gets out to our prayer teams, and and uh, Paul and I will pray for her on this Saturday for the corporate prayer. But we'll be praying throughout the week as well. Can I pray for her now, Charles? Yeah. Jesus, yeah. with with the agreement of who knows how many thousands of people listening to this radio show, we want to lift Charles' wife to you. We ask you to touch and heal, give her leg strength. We know they want to be back involved in church. We know um, that these are difficult times for some. But Lord, touch and heal and show yourself Strong on her behalf. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Charles, for giving me the, the, the you, opportunity to pray. You're my pleasure. On Sunday here at church, we had a lady come in, and um, I hadn't seen her for a while. And, you know, I, I'm visually impaired, so I don't see a lot of people. But she came up with her family, and um, and I looked at her, give her a hug, and she pointed down to her knee. She had knee replacement surgery. And I said, you didn't tell anybody. And she said, I know, I didn't want to bother you. You never bother me. We always want the opportunity to be able to pray when people are going through some things. So thanks, Charles, for the information, and we'll, we'll, we'll be praying. Let us know how she's doing. Oh, we've got an update on Becky. She's home now, no internal bleeding, just a lot of bruising. So thank you for the update, and... Um, Please keep Becky in your prayers. She's had a tough couple of years. Actually, a couple, three or four years she's had tough. So um, thank you, Jesus, that she's not uh, seriously hurt. Benjamin says, Pastor Ron, how are sins of Jews forgiven since there are no more sacrifices being offered? Um, Benjamin, there is no uh, forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. We also need to remember even when the temple was uh, in in uh, operation prior to 70 A.D., um, their sins were never forgiven in the sense that your sins and mine are forgiven. Their sins were covered over. The, the idea of an Old Testament atonement and a New Testament atonement are completely different. Our sins are forgiven and forgotten. They're as far as, from us as east is from west. But... In, in the Jewish culture, the the blood of bulls and and, and goats and and lambs and uh, they, they couldn't cover sins, couldn't forgive sins, and so what they were doing is is being dealt with God on a year to year basis on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the the, the most holy day in the Jewish calendar. Um, the high priest would go in and first make a sacrifice for his own sins, sprinkling the blood on a mercy seat. And then he would make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And when he would come out, there'd be this tumultuous roar uh, because it meant that God had forgiven, covered over their sins from the previous year, and they were okay to move forward. But today, um, the only forgiveness of sins is by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's permanent sacrificial lamb. And so Jews... Today, and you ask today in your question, um, there, there, there is no forgiveness of sins. Um, you know, the Day of Atonement has become a day of reflection, but none of that has any value in terms of forgiveness. And remember, without forgiveness, we're all doomed to an attorney. One of the reasons, Benjamin, that we ought to be praying, not only for national Israel, but for individual Jews every day, is because they're deceived. They think ritual and ceremony will forgive their sins, and of course we know that's not true. So uh, their sins are not forgiven today, 
they are lost in their sins unless and until they turn to Jesus Christ. I have a, a man, a Jewish family, um, who is very near and dear to my heart. I pray for them virtually every day. I, I, there may be a day once in a while I miss. But this man has been such a friend. He has been such a um, a blessing to, to me personally, to our church. And um, my prayer every day for him is that he would have that veil torn away. The Bible says there's a veil covering their hearts. Unless they turn to Jesus, when they turn to him, that that veil's ripped away. Uh, and that's the way, Benjamin, that we pray for Jews. So um, Jews would would argue that the Day of Atonement and the reflection of sins is sufficient because God knows their heart. Uh, but the reality is, you can't change what the Word says, without the shedding of blood, without death, there's no forgiveness of sins. 340-9585, here is an anonymous question. She says, I am a wife whose marriage has been ruined by pornography. Why doesn't the church speak out more about this terrible sin. Uh, anonymous, a couple of things before I try to answer your question directly. I, I think uh, pornography uh, is one of the the, the, the primary sins, uh, shameful sins of the New Testament church. We have such access to pornography on the phones that we carry, on our computers, um, and, and I'm a pastor. I deal with the destruction caused by pornography all the time. Um, I'm sorry, Anonymous, that your marriage has been ruined by it. Pray for your husband or your ex-husband, depending on whatever is appropriate. Um, The Apostle Paul says that when a man sins sexually, he sins against his own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And pornography gets a hold on your brain and it's not just something that, that people can stop in their own strength. You know, they can hate that they do it, that they can feel shame and they can feel embarrassment. But they're powerless to stop on their own. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can overcome. And not only that, because sexual sin gives the devil such a stronghold in our lives, um, uh, we could be successful in fighting pornography for, for months, sometimes even years, but we drop our guard and the enemy is going to bring those images flooding right back into our minds. It is a horrible, horrible sin. The consequences are terrible and the pain that it causes is horrible. I want you to think, and this is, uh, if I could talk to the, the husband of this anonymous wife, I would say, you promised God that you would take care of her, you would protect her, you would cherish her and honor her. And every time you look at pornography, you're doing just the opposite. Let's think for a minute about what position pornography puts a wife in. Most women I know, and I'm making a generalization, so there's always exceptions, but most women I know are very insecure about their body. You can tell a woman how beautiful she looks and she'll come up with the reasons why she doesn't look beautiful. And if you look at pornography, the woman that you want to feel beautiful is only convinced that she's not. If I was beautiful, he wouldn't look at that. We force our wives, men, to compete with images in our minds, images they can never compete with. In some cases, in some cases, an actual physical affair is easier for women to deal with than pornography. Because they're fighting an invisible enemy with pornography and they know they're never going to measure up. Every time you have sexual relations, the wife in a marriage where the man is watching pornography is going to wonder what he's thinking about or who he's thinking about. And what we do is we absolutely destroy their confidence, the promises we made to God about loving them and cherishing them turn out to be lies. 
And the real sinister part of this, Anonymous, is that the man who's looking at pornography doesn't process the information like that. I can't tell you over the years how many men I've had come in here and their wives would would, would have caught them with pornography and they'll say, well, at least I'm not cheating on you, but you are. And this is an insidious sin. It will grab hold of you and it will not let go. And every moment, every moment, the enemy is going to be right there waiting to bring those images come flooding back into your mind. And only God, the power of God, can break that. As to why churches don't speak more about this, I think I think churches do. I, I don't know many churches. We're one of them that does not. But I don't know many churches that don't have some sort of men's group um, dealing with, with pornography. I think the problem, Anonymous, is that we treat it like an addiction instead of a sin. Um, I think it, it gets discussed a lot. I know as we teach through the Bible, um, pornography is mentioned quite often. Uh, if you're in the New Testament especially, pornography um, is going to be is going to have to be dealt with. So I'm sorry for your marriage, sorry your husband or your ex-husband is still trapped by pornography. Pray for him. Um, it's a, a, a sin that really, really deceives us. But once it gets its grips in us, it's really, really difficult. Again, the power of God is greater. No temptation is seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under the temptation. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Men, we have to understand the damage we do when we subject our wives to our pornography habit. Again, it's not an addiction. It's a sin. Here is another anonymous question. Uh, My Christian faith has been damaged a lot by false teaching. How do I move forward when so many of those false teachings still ring in my mind? Um, Anonymous, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. A a lady in our church at one time, um, and and I I made the comment, uh, I made it on this program earlier today, but I made the comment that you can't outgive God. And the way she processed that was with all that false teaching that she had for so many years. And she almost left the church. She goes, are you going to start teaching false? No, no, no. Listen to the context. Here's what I'm saying. And and she just couldn't make the, the disconnection between what she'd been taught for so many years. And it turned out to cause so much pain. This This lady, in fact, had a child that died. And she was told that her faith wasn't strong enough for the baby would live. Now think about that. So Anonymous, what you have to do is unlearn those things. Ask God to give you a, a blank slate so that words like faith and believing become good words instead of bad words. But we really have to reprogram us. And the only way to do that is in the Word of God. God will help you. God the Holy Spirit will help you. Be transformed, we're told, by the Apostle Paul, by the renewing of our mind. And the only way we can renew our mind is in the Word of God. So when you read your Bible, ask God to clear your heart and your mind. Ask Him to show you what it says. Ask Him to show you which promises are promises you can depend on. And He will help you unlearn all of those lies. He really wants to do that. You just need to give him the opportunity to to do so. So I I hope that makes sense. Unlearn the things that you've learned. Uh, It's better sometimes to start over completely. 340-9585. We've got a call. Let's go to Charles on line one. Is this St. Charles or different Charles? 
Cindy. I don't have that on my screen. Yes. Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm still thinking about those 10 lepers that got healed in our study Sunday. And what I'm okay. thinking about is that the, they all 10 went to the temple and they were healed. And then the one came back and he must have gotten saved. So I'm thinking that the other ones might not have gotten saved. They, they just went off. But the part that really struck me was it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. And it made me think of our own life. Like when we get saved, we're saved and, and we're washed clean, and that'll never change. However, we still have to be cleansed every day as we go, you know, through through our day. We have to constantly be getting cleansed, because if we don't, we're going to wind up just as stinky as we were before we got saved, even though we'll still be saved. But where my question is, when we get to heaven, I'm wondering what we what knowledge we will have, because I'm still curious about those other nine lepers, whatever happened to them. So um, I'll let you go through this, and I'll listen <laughs> on the the radio. Thank you, Cindy. You actually said it more clearly than I did on Sunday. I appreciate it very, very much. You know, to, to understand the story, we have to understand that every time you see leprosy, in the Old Testament, and although the Gospels are in the New Testament, and Jesus was under the law, so he was still functioning in an Old Testament dispensation, but he was bringing good news to this Old Testament dispensation. And every time you see leprosy, leprosy is a type of sin. Leprosy starts out small, and it spreads um, very slowly and subtly, and then all of a sudden it starts to spread more quickly. It causes a lot of pain. Well, sin does exactly the same thing. And in this particular case, sin, um, uh, their, their leprosy, rather, um, forced them to be outcast. They would have to walk down the streets yelling unclean. They couldn't come into contact with any other Jew at the, at the penalty of death. Um, th- their, their sores would ooze uh, this stuff, and, and they, they stunk. Um, so, so people didn't want anything to do with them. That's why they were yelling at Jesus from a distance. Now, I think the most important part of that study is the as they went part. Because they didn't go to the temple and were cleansed or, and were healed. They were healed on the way. That means all ten of them believed Jesus' word. They responded in obedience. And their obedience was rewarded. Now here's the, the, the problem. Only one of them, and this is a Samaritan, came back to give Jesus thanks, literally to fall at his feet. And then Jesus said, your faith. He said, where were the other nine? Weren't there ten that were cleansed? And Jesus said, "Um, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you, literally. And he didn't say that about the other nine. Now, here's what we have to understand as New Testament Christians. We have the ability every day to be touched by God. There were 10 people there that were touched by God, but only one of those 10 people was made well. Now, physically, the other lepers were healed, but the implication is very clear when you look at the story. The implication is very clear that they went back out into a world and were reinfected. And what a picture that is, Cindy, of of what happens in our church culture. You know, people will, will come to the altar, they'll cry big crocodile tears, and have a very emotional moment, and and then they go out the door. And they go right back into the world they supposedly were delivered from. I've seen people make professions of faith and walk out with absolutely no change at all. Now, like the nine lepers who didn't come back to worship God, to give thanks to God for healing them. Those people, they come in, they have an emotional experience, but they walk out the door and they're reinfected immediately. They had the opportunity to be saved. They had the opportunity to be touched by God. And while it's clear the Holy Spirit was able to deal with their heart and while the experience was emotional, they simply didn't obey. And as I said in the Bible study on Sunday, um, there's no doubt in my mind that this 
Samaritan would spend the rest of the time Jesus had following him everywhere he went. In my mind, there's no doubt that followed Jesus into Jerusalem. He was there on Triumphal Entry Sunday. He was there on the day that he was crucified. There's no doubt in my mind that his heart was broken and the fear would have come rushing back. But then on the third day when he got the message that Jesus is alive, that hope comes flooding back and and he followed Jesus. I, I have no doubt he was one of those that followed Jesus and have listened to his teaching for the 40 days. Um, before Jesus ascended into heaven. I have no doubt that he was uh, in that crowd on the day of Pentecost that received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The other nine, what happened to him is the same thing that happens to a lot of people. We give lip service to Jesus. We say we're thankful, but we don't live our lives as though we're really grateful. So it's really important, Cindy, that we communicate. Believing is demonstrated by our obeying. And when we believe, when we meet Jesus, then our hearts are filled with joy, filled with gratitude. And I think the primary message, Sunday was that we have to live grateful lives. And there's just not enough gratitude, even inside the Church of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Cindy. You actually communicated it better than I did. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. Hope to see you then. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Bye-bye until tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.